it's your boy Fred from What's Happening. I'm just seeing if you checked out Patreon yet. Ad free podcast, full video episodes, unedited content, exclusive merchandise discounts, early access to merchandise, vote, partake in community polls, and inspire content, access private chat, and middle on one bonus episode. What you waiting for? Tap in on Patreon. Welcome to What's Happening. This is episode two of our Women Making History series, second annual Making History series. And we are here with Dr. Put some respect on her name. Dr. Sarah McDade. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good, good. Good. Appreciate it. And uh, Fred is, we're recording this super early. Fred is is coaching a game tonight. So wishing good luck to his girls. Hey, Fred Um, got this, though. But in the meantime, we had Jamal <laughs> from Unapologetically Black, Never Broken, Always Empowered, the longest podcast name in the world. We've hey, got hey, him man. stepping in <laughs> as the co-host. How you feeling, bro? I'm good, man. Good, good, good. So y'all know how we do, those of you that consistently listen. This is a freestyle. There's nothing planned. Um, Sarah, the way we do it is I'm going to let you take it away, talk about your journey. Oh, wow. um, okay. And then we'll, we'll we will kind of jump in with questions that we may have okay. from there. You know, I think the thing I told you <laughs> about when I asked you, I asked you on January 1st, 2023, as soon as church was over, I said, to the <laughs> best did. of my knowledge, you are the first black female doctor that I've ever met. Wow. And I'll be 37 this year. And wow. what about you, Jamal? Do you know any other black female doctors? So I've met a couple, like but maybe like two okay and i think wow. one was like britney's like birthing doctor and one <laughs> was like a doctor who did who came to my daughter's like she's my daughter's godmother so mm. yeah like maybe two wow and my entire 31 years mm. yeah mm. i have to say that like it it hurts in a way but it's the reality of where we are and um when you look at the population of the US, there are 14% Black, African American, I'd say Black, I'm comfortable mm-hmm. with that, Black folks in America. And there are 5% of the doctors are Black. So if you think mm. about that, you can't even get a one to one ratio. And then if you look at where a lot of these Black doctors are, they're probably in larger cities. You know, how many are rural or in some of the smaller cities or smaller suburbs? So the likelihood of you finding a doctor that looks like you either by skin color and gender is just low, you know? And I wow. I, I used to, um, like I've been at that church, Bradley, for 13, 14 years, something like that. And um, 15 years, 15 years. And a lot of people didn't know I was a doctor. And not that I was ashamed, but I wanted to just be me. I wanted people people to know me for me. I'm not my job. You know, I'm Sarah. And then I do this. But in later years, especially, I think down the road, we'll probably talk about this nonprofit that I started. I started to realize it is important to say that name. Not like, hey, you have to call me that, but to give hope and to make that connection and to be someone who looks like someone else by skin color or gender that they can access you know so yeah so that's that's just is it's uh it's humbling and a reality check to actually hear you say that especially bradley that you haven't met one until me wow that's, that's yeah. pretty impactful so let, let's pull it back you know okay <laughs> you know wh- where you're from and what how did oh. you how did you get down the path <laughs> to becoming a doctor Oh, okay. Let me just tell the audience. I did not know this was really all about me. I thought it was going to be about more that I'm doing. So I I will be. Okay. (laughs) Cause I usually don't do this, but, um, I'm from Peoria, Illinois, small city, central Illinois. Um, and you know, um, my parents were very focused on education. They were started in a very stressed situation. My dad was the first black lawyer in that city. 
and no one wanted to work with him. Mm. So he ended up working at a bank. There's a lawyer working at a bank, right? And eventually there was one white man in Peoria that was like, I'll work with you. And they made their own company, law firm, and kind of grew from there. So we moved up in that city in terms of economically into the middle class. Um, and there were a few other families there. And so that was like my network, not like we're elite and blah, 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 but just trying to inspire other Black people in Peoria that were really centered on just the South side, the poorer side. And I think in the group that my parents kind of came in with in that time, there were teachers and educators and lawyers. And so we just started to build this community to bring people together. I come from a family of advocates. My, my grandfather and grandmother on my mom's side were from Ann Arbor. They started the NCAA chapter there um, way back. They had a program called Model Cities that was a federal government program that they brought into Ann Arbor and it provided free care and advocacy and health. So I feel like I'm walking in their footsteps. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, it's a small town, but I think, I think it grounded me in advocacy and, and activism in a way, in my way. And I don't think I really appreciated that I had that in me until I started walking in this nonprofit. You know, I looked at my mom and I'm like, she was on community boards. She was the first black woman on the school board in that area. They're both now judges, you know, working into that realm. My dad's a federal judge. My mom is a appellate state court, uh, an appellate judge in Illinois. And I'm thinking I can never <laughs> live up to that, the desire to do something and to help people. And just, right. you know, I think I've realize that I'm walking in that sometimes in little ways, but that's how we do it, right? That you're just willing to give a little bit of yourself and then see what kind of springs from that. So yeah, so Peoria, Illinois. Yeah, it, what's really, were you getting in there, Jamal? Well, I was gonna ask, like given that we're in Black History Month, like what do you think your legacy will be when all is said and done? <laughs> it's really interesting. I never really, my my grandfather, my mom's father, was the first black tenured, uh, per, per, first black tenured professor and scientist at University of Michigan, and he ended up being the only, I think, the only black mayor, the first black mayor of Ann Arbor. I, I'm not sure if there's been another one since. But I didn't really. I just thought for myself, oh, I'm a doctor. You know, I'm just a doctor, and that's how I pictured myself. It wasn't until I think last year in 2022, I started, I'm not a big social media person, I'm growing in it, <laughs> but I had to do it for the well, the nonprofit. And I I pulled a clip of my grandparents and I started reading some of the things they did. You know, I heard about it, but just kind of seeing it on paper. And I'm like, I'm in a line of advocates. You know, mm. my grandparents, my and and on my father's side as well and then my but i i tapped my grandfather because he was in health and then my mom was an activist and advocate on all realms my father and all of my siblings are always you know like just giving and helping as part of that and so i feel like my legacy is that just i want to be spiritually an encourager which translates into the world as an advocate helping, right. supporting. So I feel like that's my legacy in terms of that. I don't know what it's going to look like. It may just stay in Highland Park. Maybe it'll blossom to other places. I know God's given me a vision, but I think if I can if I can do that and I walk to that, then I've loved God because I've honored the gifts he's given me and I've loved others because I'm advocating for them. You know, so at least I feel at some point I, I'll stand on that. I'll be fine with that. <laughs> Something that's standing out to me is that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of black people in particular, you know, we grow up in these situations that are, you know, single parent homes, um, brokenness, you know, crime infested areas, things of that nature, you know, low income areas. Right. And 
what I'm hearing from you is, is that while I'm hearing from you, I guess what I want to say is, is that excellence was normalized because you are just surrounded by this village that was all doing great things, whether it was working on the court system, working in government, working in, in, in medicine and in, in building nonprofits and things of that nature. It's just, it, it's normalized for you to the point where you're just like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't actually normal for a lot of people. Like this is right. actually kind of unique. Right. And and that I think that is a really important concept that you threw out there. Like there's a lot of privilege that I have. You know, all of us have privilege, if you think about it. You know, I'm a black person, I've faced racism. I mean, I walk into a hospital where, man, I don't I haven't met another black female physician down in Wyandotte that I've met, black female. Um, and there aren't many of us when we get into those rooms. So so you're walking into spaces where you're representative, right? And you're trying to battle all the time to stand up for that, represent that and bring quality to everything you do. But I have a lot of privilege because as you said, I had two parents in my household. I had uh, an example of college, an example of advocacy, an example of family first, no matter what. You know, I when I was born, we were in a pretty large house, but I came after they were in a tiny house with roaches. <laughs> that my, but my dad, my dad saved money. My mom didn't know he was saving money. <laughs> <laughs> but he saved enough till he had enough. And he's like, we're moving, you know, so I was not in that particular household at that time. When I was born, I'm in this nicer house, right? But my parents made sure we knew their history and their story and their family stories and the struggles that had happened. So I think again, like I, 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 100% agree with you. We all have barriers that we have to overcome, especially as people of as people of color, but I have a lot of privilege. And I, I think when we talk about privilege, everyone thinks, well, white people have privilege, right? <laughs> That's where privilege comes into play, but we all do. I'm, I'm married to a, a DEI guy. So he does diversity, equity, and, and inclusion training all the time. And when you think about privilege, like, Two, par two parents in a household, privilege. Privilege, right? Because it's less likely I'm left alone. It's less likely that I'm gonna come home from school and not have anybody there. It's, it's less likely that we're gonna run out of food, you know? So yeah, I think that, uh, so I, 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 I know I have overcome some things, but I also know that I have so much more and I've had some easier times than a lot of other people. And I think that when we talk about what God gives us, what he's gifted us with, I, I talk about like uh, there are merciful blessings and bountiful blessings, right? And we're all thankful for the merciful blessings. Like, oh, thank God, you know, this didn't happen. Oh my gosh, thank God, you know, I didn't lose my job. Thank God, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then there are these bountiful blessings that I've never gone hungry. I haven't, you know? And I think that of those, I think we're given those bountiful blessings so that we are able to touch those that are lacking in that area. Like that's why we have them, right? To give of them. And so, you know, which in whatever ways I've been blessed and helped and advantaged, if I'm not using that to influence, you know, and make it better for someone else, then, you know, like, I feel like that's not right. That's not why I'm here. You know, that's not why God gave me these things. Does that make sense? It, it does. <laughs> and you're showing, you're showing a sense of groundedness, I guess is what I want to say, in the midst of the the advantages that you have you're like you know a lot of people don't a lot of people struggle with that it's you know hey i have to work hard for this and not not to say that you didn't but it's like hey i have to work hard for this 
you should just work just the way I did. And and you're like, yeah, I did work hard, but I also had a great foundation under me. And uh, I had a structure to, to help me show in which ways that I wanted to work. Um, you, I think you said your, your grandfather, maybe I misinterpreted it, but I think you said your grandfather was the one that wanted, that led you down the path to becoming a doctor? No, he was in the health field. So he okay. was a scientist. I don't know where the doctor came from. I just, I always knew I wanted to be one. It was just, that was never, ever a question for me. I always knew from little, I, I have no idea. <laughs> and, it, and it just never changed. Now, what type of doctor I wanted to be, that changed. And and thank God it did. <laughs> but yeah, I always knew I wanted to do that. So what, what go ahead, Jamal, like you're going to say something. Oh. So I was going to ask, uh, do you feel shows like Doc McSuffins and things like that that show little girls like being uh, more powerful and not just like the nurse or things like that? Like she's actually the doctor who comes from a house where yeah. her mom's a doctor, her dad's a doctor. Like yes. they are that solid foundation like you talked about yes. you think that, that changes things because now we're in a generation where we come from, okay, well, I might not have had that, that two-parent household but mm -hmm. I want to give that two-parent household. Like I know mm -hmm. myself and Brad, like we we didn't come from that, but we now give and we now are there for our children in a way. So like, how do you feel that impacts this next generation that comes behind you? I Well, one, I think you're dead on. I agree with you. It makes a huge difference. Like there are children that were born and being a black president, is like no big deal. Like that's yeah. their that's their that's their foundation. Like there's not a question of we can never get there and you know why why can't black folks get ahead? Blah blah blah. They're like, yeah, I could, but I don't want to. You know what I mean? We're like, could we ever? And they're like, eh, I don't want to go that route. <laughs> that's right. a big change because they saw it. It happened. And so when you see things like Doc McStuffins, yes. That's powerful. We're not the sidekick, you know, we're not the voice behind a character, you know, like the black voice isn't Darth Vader, you know. Like, yeah. you can't mm. see. He's right out front. She's right out front. And she is right out front. So yeah, I think it is huge for us to see representation. And in healthcare, as I was saying before, like to to have a doctor who you can relate to. There's going to be those little things you can say and you know they understand. So when I see a when I see a patient who let's say is Latino and I don't speak Spanish, very, very poquito, <laughs> very little. So that's about it. That's about it. Dolor, pain, poquito. <laughs> um and I have the interpreters there or the translators, you know, I'll ask a question looking at the person, even though the translator's here, I'm looking at the person, because even though I can't understand you, I want you to know I'm there, right? So trying right. to connect and show, hey, I'm interested in you. I say something, I ask a question, the translator says the question in their native language, they talk six, seven, eight sentences. The translator's like, yeah, they're fine. Oh, I missed so much. I no, like, so tell me I what missed, they said. Yes, yeah. I missed the texture of it. And I think that as we see representations of us in cartoons, in fantasy, a Black Little Mermaid, you know, Black folks in the Hobbit movies, you know, it brings texture to our lives. There's, there's more to it. There's deeper feel. There's a, a new connection. And so I right. think it's priceless to you know you look at how many tv commercials have black people in them now <laughs> you know what i mean i'm looking at the nba and and even the college especially in basketball all the hairstyles yeah black people are wearing their hairstyles how they want to I mean, I'm on here with natural hair, and I was <laughs> like, it's not looking good today, but I'm going to flip this and this, and it's just gonna, we're just going to rock it, you know, because I'm just going to believe that it looks good, <laughs> you know? I think all of that makes a difference. I wear this to work. I'll wear it in twists. I'll wear it pulled out. Yeah, you know, I'll wear it up in a faux hawk. 
I mean, I've done it all. And I think it empowers people around us. And it also shows to other people who don't fully understand us that they can't box us in. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, I, for one, I have a son who has his natural hair out. Like it looks almost like yours every day. It's just, it's crazy. It's everywhere. He just, he doesn't know what to do with it. He's three, but <laughs> like he'll get there. But um, for us, like it's, it's important for him to see what people look like. And for my daughter, it's more important for her to see that other women can succeed and other women can right. be these things. Cause like when you look and you see the black Panther, that's a woman, you see the little mermaid <laughs> and it's like, these are powerful women. Like I want my yes. daughter to grow up to be someone like you, like someone who does inspire change and someone who does like grow up and want to see that change. Like not just, right. I hear it, I it's okay, but not like I, right. I want to be a part of that. Yes, yes, I, yes. I think, I think we represent, you know, we're not a, uh, monotone isn't the word, monolithic community, black people. Mm -hmm. But so many times we're considered that to yes. be the sole representative if you're in that space, right? And you're the only one or one of two in that space. But in some regards, we do have to embrace that to some regards, you know, like, and this may be on a tangent, but I look at, so I look at um, like when the Irish came over to America and they're in New York, you know, cause everyone was entering through, uh, through Ellis Island. They were a persecuted, mistreated group, you know, and a lot of times in, in, in large, uh, um, for a large region, they were Catholic, which wasn't necessarily looked at, right? But what did they do? They kind of grouped together and they were getting beat up by the police. So what they do? They became police officers. How better to control how much you're getting beat, beaten up? mistreated how much injustice you have then going into the organization that impacts that right and then you look at the jewish community and the jewish community really is supportive of each other it's not that they don't use other businesses but there is a strong foundation ethic of to support other jewish people and i think in the black community we sometimes do it when we find something that connects us, right? But I think often it's because we don't necessarily see a common culture for all of us, mm. right? You know, like like Irish have their culture, Jewish have their religion and their culture. You know, we think about that. What is the black culture? And I think for so long, other people have defined it for us. And for me, I look at it and I think if we could connect in our culture and see and look at each other and see the richness of us, of each other, right? And the, what I feel is like second nature to our culture, there's a kindness and a love. You know, we are very in a warm, um, embracing people with strong spirituality and perseverance and determination. And those qualities alone, we should excel. Right. Those four or five qualities I just listened, we should be at the top of the world. But we've lost it. We're not sharing it with each other. We're not showing it so that other people can feel that. And others, other groups have impacted that and limited us and made us forget how powerful we were and all this stuff. But the more we, each one of us, you guys doing this, right? Just promoting that, promoting yourselves, showing yourself, speaking up it allows us to like show others who black people are, what we're capable of. And it's in every walk of life that we're doing because it's our integrity, it's our professionalism, it's our consideration, it's that drive for excellence, it's overcoming barriers, it's being industrious and innovative and it's in everything that we are tasked to do. And that inspires people. Everyone's, everyone's watching. They're watching for us to fail. They're watching for us to be uh, thieves. They're watching for us to be, you know, all the stereotypes they say. Well, our kids are watching too. 
right. and our teenagers are watching that too. And we can either live up to that and then reinforce what they've been told they're supposed to be, or we can change it in any area that we're in. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. No, I'll I mean, get off on was... the tangent. I'll get off on the tangent in a minute. That's the purpose of a podcast. <laughs> That's good, then. That's good. So I wanna. I'm interested in. I'm going to go off course just for a little bit because I'm interested in getting your perspective. You know, you talked about how black people aren't a monolith. Um, you know, you being someone who's well educated, well spoken. Um, I'm sure you've ran into situations at some point in life, and if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. But I'm I'm sure you've ran into situations where someone has said, "You don't act black," or "You oh. act white," or something to that capacity. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, well, I think I got it early because you know my parents told me that I was going to speak the. English language as they're expecting you to speak in in America to get, you know, to be with the powers that be, I'm going to master that first. Then you can start talking any other way you want. I mean, that was just basically what they said. So I got teased for that. So that wasn't from, that was, you're not black enough. I walked that for a long time. I wasn't black enough because I was getting good grades because I talked too proper, you know? And so, you know, it was that side. And I think, again, that's just Black people hurting Black people because they're frustrated and they're feeling left out. And why don't I have that? You know, why isn't someone doing that for me? Who's not taking the time, the investment, right? And then I got it the other way, too. Like, oh, well, you're different. You know, oh, you're not, you're, you, you know. I mean, I had an incident in my, uh, uh, I was graduating eighth grade, and so I was over at one of my friend's house, and all the graduates, like, we had, like, a group of 15 people there, and I mean, I had, I had been with this, this kind of group of people for five years, and we were a little bit, I mean, I'm about to go to high school, right, and so I'm over at their house, and they had a black cat, and so the black cat started running through the room, and the sister, the little sister of my friend, you know, was like, hey, come here. And, and I was just like five years, like, and we had, it was like the school I went to. So I was in a, I was, I was um, in third grade, I went to a, a gifted school. So there were five of us, there were five black folks in the, in the five grades total. Right. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was my, that was, that was my school environment. Right. But I mean, for five years, they're at my house, I'm at their house, you know, nothing until that. And I was like, wow, wow, you know, and I and I walked out and one guy, one guy came out and he was like, I'm so sorry, they're jerks, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that was it. And that changed me a lot at that point. And it took me a while to get back to being more open with other people. You know what I mean? Right. I really I really retreated to especially in high school those friends that I knew they would understand. We weren't going to You know what I mean? It took a while to it because that's not kingdom. You know, kingdom is all people. You got to be able to connect with God's people and our brothers and sisters. But for a while that was shut down in me because of the hurt and you know, and then there have been other times since that. Um, in in high school, in college, it was more. Again, I think at that point I got it more from black people because my husband is white, and I dated him in in college, so I got it again that oh, you know, you're not black enough. And then I came to Detroit after med school, and I got, well, why are you talking to me? you're a doctor, why are you talking to me? So, I mean, it just, it's always up and down, you know? But at it, it, the bottom line, I know who I am. I know how I'm judged by the world. And if I continue to just walk out what I know I'm supposed to do, then, you know, maybe respect's earned 
but I still have to give, you know? And it's, it's less, it's less now. I don't feel like I, and, and I think you get to a certain age, you don't care anyway. Yeah, I'm, yep. I'm 55. So it's kind of like, I gotta be about God's business. I don't have time to play around anyway. I know what he told me to do. He's the only one that I'm going to be like, you know what I mean? If I'm not happy, if he's not happy with me, that's a problem, you know, but yeah, that's a long way around saying yes, but I've gotten it both ways. And I know I'm not alone. I think as black people, we sometimes are really hard on how black are you? And so that's goes back to me saying, sometimes we have bought in to the discord that society has placed on us and we buy into it. You know what I mean? Like we want, we want for us to get better, but okay, I don't want you to get too much better than me. You know what I mean? And we mm. gotta get, we've gotta get past that. And I think the more we're giving to each other, the more they're seeing that, hey, this person is struggling just like me and is helping me or isn't struggling, but is giving. You know what I mean? I think we can overcome that. I couldn't help but to, to smirk a little bit when you said you were 55 and I saw the oh. the, the shock in Jamal's face. Like, I know black don't crack, <laughs> but good. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm like 55. I didn't know how old you were. I knew you were older than me. Uh-huh. I didn't know how old you were, but listen, that is a black woman that is a <laughs> doctor uh, that knows how to uh, how to stay well. And that is my terrible segue to say. Tell I mean, us you about my apple slices. <laughs> <laughs> That's my terrible segue to say. Tell us about the well. Okay. All right. Well, let me tell you, though, I, I was thrown when people were saying, happy double nickel. I'm like... First of Hold all, on. Wait that a minute. just does not sound good. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm like double nickel. It took me a minute. I'm like double. Oh, 55. Wow. You trying to okay. sneak this. Okay. I see y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the well. Oh, man. I love it. So God gave me this vision in 2017. I had always like wanted to do something. Um. And I just didn't know what, like, I, I, I love treating patients and engaging with patients, but you're so limited in the hospital system and with insurances and all, you know, that you, you know, a lot of times can't give the care you want to give. And then so much explanation is needed, like talking through and educating patients on whatever you're doing. And a lot of times it's just not allowed. And so, um, yeah, I was doing 15 minute appointments when I was working at Henry Ford the first time around. So I left one out on my own private practice and yeah, I take an hour with my patients, half hour with a return, you know, it's just like we got, you know, I got to talk to them and I can do it my way. And so I just, I, I just got to the point where I knew there was a need to do more. So I, um, I applied for this grant, um, and I, I was gonna just do what I could do. That's what, you know, that's what I thought it was. Like, okay, I'll see patients for free. I'll go through their whole medical history and just kind of see what stressors they have. How can we help them out? And then do some fitness programs, educate on nutrition, you know, just that. And I'll just do that. And it just, you know, it wasn't moving too far. I was doing it, but it was just little bits. And then I was sitting down I don't remember where I was, but I just got a piece of paper and I just started drawing out this diagram of what God really had. And it was touching every generation where, so if we're talking about seniors, eventually there's a senior home and you're training home health aides with a Christ center to serve in that senior home, right? And then they're having paid jobs out side of our community to sustain the business, right? So we had that, we have like a, um, a kids tutoring center. So the young adults are tutoring and helping the kids and a mentorship program. So, and then in the center of it was like this job training. So it was this whole big, huge um, uh, like community of programs. And, um, <laughs> and it was overwhelming. <laughs> wasn't quite sure what to do. So it's really been in 2022, maybe late 2021, that it's really started to come to fruition, where 
I'm I I hold the vision that God gave, but I'm not supposed to be the sole one doing it, you know. And I think for me, I in medicine I was so much a silo all the time. You know, it was my private practice for like 12 years. It was just me and my office manager. Um that I had to learn how to delegate, how to bring people in, how to get them engaged. And I think at this point, we're really kind of rolling down in our, our areas, our focus. I'm sorry, there's something happening outside of a house right over here. And, yeah. and it threw me off. Um, no, 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 no. I knew something was up. You definitely yeah, dropped the bar. Walked out as soon as, <laughs> like, that's me looking over at the kids. <laughs> hey, when you do an independent podcast from home, anything's possible. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the bar that you dropped is crazy, though, where you said that, and I'm paraphrasing at this point, but basically you said that the vision was yours, but it wasn't on you to do all of the work. Right. Um. So go into that like what's the next step yeah. what are you well you know i think one of it was you know realizing that in the end and it's in the base of that it's pride you know and and, and it's not like i was like it's mine i want to have it not that kind of pride i don't think we really acknowledge what pride is that's one part but i felt well, I got to do it alone. I don't want anyone else to be inconvenienced. You know, who would help me? Is it, you know, it ends up still being a pride thing because why am I not accepting help, looking for help and asking for help? And so I had to walk through that and then learn how to communicate what I needed to be done. And so right now what we're doing, we do have a board. So I have five, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. I think we just add a six person to the board. Um, we are doing community outreach activities. We have a website. We are re, um, refocusing on our social media come the spring. We have some programs, a youth bike program that's partially funded that will happen this summer where kids can earn a bike. They learn about biking. They learn about the parts of the bike. They learn how to repair a bike and then they get their bike. Uh, we are um, putting a proposal out for, uh, I love this one. It's, 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 a, uh, it's our weekend retreat. So it's our culinary experience weekend retreats. So we want kids to come in on Friday, stay to Sunday. And they learn not just about food and maybe how to cook it, but the language of food. You know, when you start working in 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 uh, circles where you're growing a business, you're an entrepreneur, or you're moving up in corporate America, food is so much a part of that. You're going out to dinners, you're going to conferences, you know, there are these events. So we teach them about dining etiquette, how to read a menu, they get exposed to a four course meal by a chef a black chef. Um, they'll learn how to cook meals on that Saturday. So that's one of the things that we're doing is just slowly starting to um, start impacting some of these barriers, food insecurity, food knowledge, health, obesity, chronic disorders like high blood pressure, diabetes, that kind of in large extent stem from food and unhealthy lifestyles. So those are some of our programs. We ultimately you know, just to show the long vision is we're phasing in some of these programs. So they seem sort of like, oh, a bike program. And then this weekend culinary retreat seems sort of like, but the, the far reaching program for nutrition is to have a culinary and event center in Highland Park. So this uh, center allows kids to come in and have large cooking classes. They um, can tutor in the building next door that has a laundry facility. They're learning about cleaning and hygiene, free laundry services. They're tutoring, learning while they're doing that. They earn meals for their family. They go to the kitchen and pick up five dinners for the week. You know, we have to start thinking about what the limits are and how can we make it practical. I'll give you an example. We had some high school, uh, some grade schoolers come to our church. And they were working hard, but everyone wasn't necessarily fresh. 
right? Mm -hmm. Is that because they don't have laundry facilities? Is that because they don't have the ability to pay for the laundry detergent? Is it because they don't know how to clean their clothes, right? How to brush your teeth properly, how to do proper hygiene, right? So we need to address those because that's our dignity, that's our self-respect, that's how we, if we're interviewing, that impacts people, right? If we're engaging with people, there's just all these, um, all these barriers, all these little stumbling blocks that are placed in black communities. And we've got to address them all. And sometimes it's the little things. So if I can empower a kid to feel comfortable when he goes out to eat, and he's able to read the menu, you know, and he's like, oh, no, this fork is for my salad, you know, and then it just makes a difference. And so that's what we're doing. So we're trying to do practical programs that impact kids as well as adults. But ultimately, we're leading to bigger programs like our bike program is a repair and design shop. So down the road, these kids actually can repair bikes. Maybe they start designing their own style bikes. And then from riding down the street, maybe they actually get into cycling. We're seeing more people of color in the cycling world. You know, I mean, it's just dreaming that big, like we talked about, and ultimately giving them hope, ideas, and opportunities in their own community. You know what I mean? You know, it's interesting that you talk about, like, there's so much you talk about the culinary side, you know, the 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 knowing which fork to use, like which one's for the dinner, which one's for the salad, right? And I can remember um, I used to work for a Verizon retailer. Everybody that listens to this and that knows me knows that for a long time. And we would go out to, um, as district managers, we would go out to Las Vegas every year for our annual summit. And the last like night would be this big banquet dinner, these nights laid out like everything, right? Cayenne steak or seafood, whatever you wanted. And so like they've got the forks laid out and there's me, and to my right is the other black DM on my team, and to my left is the half white, half black DM on my team. And I look over to the black DM and say, "So, which which fork is which?" And it's like, "I don't know." And then I look over to the half white, half black DM and I say, "So, which fork is which?" He goes, "I think it's this one, but I'm not sure." And then ultimately, like, um. One of the, the the one of the white people on our team is one that knew it and was able to take to to help us out. But like, thank God that I was like around the people right. that I knew um, yeah. that you know that would just be like, oh yeah, he just doesn't know, and not like in a situation where I could have been potentially embarrassed. Um, right, right. So to to that point, like to when even when you work hard and you make it to the you know the high place, so to speak, that. If you're ill-prepared as to how to conduct yourself, you could put yourself in a bad position right. thereafter because of little things like that, so right. to speak. Um, and then confidence. Confidence. Yeah. is having the confidence that I can walk in any space. You know, I think, for one, I think as Black people, we have great talent to adapt to the room because right. we have to. We have to. This world is not ours, you know, the world is not ours. So we have to be able to enter into a space and communicate with people and walk in a culture that may not be ours, right? That's just the reality of where a lot of the world and power structures are moving. But we are so adaptable. We are flexible and a lot of what I feel is the charisma of our culture, of our people, it is very attractive to other people, you know? Right, because the cool The music, like, yeah, yeah, the music, the way, the walk, the just, yes. And, and, and I think that bringing some confidence to that and growing that ability to handle whatever situation and know I'm okay with it, I think that that will just empower kids, empower people, you know, and just change, change us from sort of the inside out. Right. Yeah, right. At, at the core, you're talking about, hey, you don't know what you don't know. So I want to make sure you yes. know. So that way, when it's time to know that, that you know. Um, okay, you sound like you're in Romans. Like, right. <laughs> Isn't um, it Romans? I try not to do what I'm going to do. That's all right. Uh, don't, don't get me. Listen, I know this PD going to listen to this one. But PD, don't. I don't need. Don't. Max, leave me alone. Like all y'all. Listen, right. 
I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> so, I mean, but you're talking about a program that is um, that is rooted in not only physical health, but mental health and well-being and just learning how to live. Like the other thing I wanted to talk about with the, you know, the culinary, you know, learning how to cook and, and you know, building your relationship with food starts young. Yes. And I mean, if you are, if you grow up eating chicken nuggets and, and ramen noodles, you know. And that's all you know. You only know how to like, like I yeah. know kids that say they can only cook an egg from a microwave because that's all their parents have allowed them to do. So right. when you get to like 12, 12 to 15 and you're expected to be able to walk in a kitchen and minimally make an egg by yourself. Like I feel like yes. an egg is probably the most basic meal you could start a kid with and then they can't um so for me i would also say uh if you could add financial literacy in there i think you would have every kid and every adult wanting to get a program like this started in a situation because the one thing they don't really teach you starting young that you should is financial literacy right a lot of kids are promised or a lot of kids come up with the talent to be the next LeBron or to be the next, mm-hmm. the next you know, big you. And it's right. like, if they become this next doctor or they become the next sports star, how do you spend this money? How do you right. know about taxes? Mm-hmm. What do you right. know about being able to spend it wisely and save it? Like, how do you know when to save, what to save, how to invest, where to right. invest that money? Right. Because like, everyone will tell you, you gotta invest. You gotta save, and it's like, well, what do I invest in? Yeah, how does that? Yeah, how does that like, work? Absolutely. How does that equate to me? Because I, mm-hmm. as the average person, if I can't understand this, I can't teach it to you. So I haven't been taught. I can't teach you, and yes. that's where we, as like black people, fill in that generational gap. Because instead of saying, "Oh, well, we weren't given this," then we don't educate ourselves now to teach our next generation. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, I, I I think kind of merging both of your comments, wellness is a big part of what we talk about at The Well. So health is one thing, but wellness embraces so much more. It's really being able to live life optimally, right? right. And that's, yeah, having good health, but that's like what you're saying. I can, one, I can work and have a good job where I earn a good wage and I'm able to buy the things I need to eat every day, to clothe myself and my kids, to leave something for them when I'm done, to be able to save and increase wealth, to own a home, right? To go into my own community and feel safe and get the needs met in my community. I can shop in my community. I can go to my doctor in my community, you know? So it's all of that. And financial literacy is a huge part of that. You know, if we look at how many in the black community don't even have a bank account and and the thought of savings, you know, it's like, well, I don't have enough, but even just saying a quarter, a dollar a week, a dollar a month, you know, it it compounds and being able to give that kind of information. I um, I actually put my daughter through, our church hosted a Financial Peace University, which is a Dave Ramsey product that talks about managing money, learning about debt, getting out of debt if you're in it, and just really minding your dollars. And it's a Christ-based program. You know, and there's different philosophies for financial education, but it was a good start for my daughter and it changed her world. And she is a saver. She watches where her money is. She understands about banks. She doesn't want a credit card, you know? And I agree with you when we are empowered to know not only how to use our money, but to save and grow our money, you know, those things are very powerful. A lot of wealth is made off of housing, you know, where you have an asset in your life that you can borrow against, you can sell, you can upgrade. And for a large, uh, and it goes on even now, Blacks have been moved out of those communities, limited from some of those resources that are so necessary for us, right? I mean, I could, I'm going to go on a tangent. <laughs> the <laughs> housing was a political weapon to keep 
black people out of the promise of what suburban life was supposed to be. Subsidized housing was not a black person uh, concept. It wasn't for black people. Subsidized housing was for poor people, right? And poor white people that were subsidized to go into the suburbs and have nice houses. And blacks were not given that same opportunity. You know, so now when you talk about subsidized housing, oh, it's black people, you know, poor people, people of color, they, you know, they can't even afford their house. Well, the white community was given that subsidized housing first out in the suburbs, you know? So it's just, I think as we educate to know history, to know the history of our country, not just slavery, but how all these other tools have been used and how we can regain knowledge and power to empower our communities to grow. So financial education is a huge part of that. Um, even, you know, and along that same minus job opportunities, it's transportation. You know, can we get to the jobs we need reliably? A huge part in, in Highland Park, we have a lot of single parent households. Well, childcare, 24 hour childcare. How do they work the night shift if they don't have childcare? And how expensive is childcare? You know, so with the well, we've talked about in, in medical terms, as those are called the social determinants of health. So um, that's a big part of what the well is trying to just have programs that target some of those barriers in society that really are needed for us to be well. And um, one of the things we started last summer was a health survey. You know, it's one thing to come in and say, okay, so Highland Park, you know, we need this, you know, because it's black people, there's a lot of unemployment, you know, blah, 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 blah. So they need this program. Well, we can say a lot of stuff. It's like when they sent powdered milk to Africa. Lactose intolerant is kind of high in black folks. You know? So powdered milk doesn't really go over well sometimes, right? So you, you can't just send what you want. So we're doing this health assessment so that we are gathering the responses from people living in Highland Park as to what they are facing and what seems to be the priority from their lives so that there may be some programs like this bike program, this culinary program that from the well we feel is important and we want to do, but at the same time we're seeing where the needs are from the people actually living in the community so that we can make sure we're meeting their goals. And then I think a, a big, another barrier in, I would say in, in black communities in general, but I'm speaking more of Highland Park is, there are quite a few organizations doing amazing things in the city, but everyone doesn't know what everyone else is doing. Mm. <laughs> and they aren't always collaborating. Mm. And I think as we move through, so for the well, all of our services are free. And, you know, I, there's an initial grant we have, we'll apply for grants. I'm, I've prayed for, and I know at some point the well will have an endowment or a large private foundation gift. I, I know that's going to happen. I don't know when, and I'm going to be ready and responsible for it. But we want to, we want to take the role in each activity that we're supposed to have. So in some of in some things like the culinary center, that may be our lead. That's one of our programs. And we may connect with the urban gardens to say, hey, can you supply some of this fresh food for our cooking class or blah, 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 right? In another project, we may be just we're providing health education. You know, like I'm working with a mission group, a mission organization called Seeds for Harvest. So the well is going to provide education to some of the places they go on missions so that there's continued contact with the groups that they worked with. And it's not just a once a year, one and done. Um, it may be that we are providing volunteers to someone else's program. So I think one thing we're trying to do is be a connector and a developer of the community in that way. So how can we help you? Did you know so-and-so is doing free services for behavioral health? You didn't know that? Yes, they're in Highland Park. They could help you on this. You can send your people there for free healthcare and support, right? So that's part of what we're doing too, is just trying to um, 
allow the community to know what other people are doing in the community. And so we interact and grow together because that's what makes the strength of the community. And I, th I think the last thing I'd point, I'd say about the well is, you know, when I initially got that vision, I saw all this stuff down on paper. I thought, okay, I'm going to have this big, huge campus and we're going to have all these things sitting on the campus. And that's what I thought for probably a good two years. And then just recently, he's made it, he being God, has made it more clear that we will have satellites. You know, it's, it's, if you look at most organizations, they have, well, not most, but in a smaller city, they have one, you know, that's where they are. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or you see McDonald's that has it all over, but they're spread all over the city. Yeah. Well, Highland Park is just a little shy of three meter, three miles square. Right. Imagine six or seven locations that the well's operating for. You know, on the north side, we might have the bike program. Um, on, on Well, let's say the north side, we have the culinary center. And then at one school, we have the bike program because it makes sense to have it located near a school. And then across town, we have a health clinic that we're helping to support, right? So there's all these places within the community where you can tap into the services and you're not, you're more mobile, you're able to reach more. So yeah, those are, those are kind of like where, those are our main principles. So health and wellness, advocacy, community development and connection. And then my third is representative research so that we're trying to make sure that what we are pushing out, especially about health knowledge and health education is actually representative for us. You know, I, I, I stayed my age. I'm not going to say it again. Y'all can hear rewind. It's all good. <laughs> so, so when I went to medical school, you know, they, they throw a lot of information at you and you're learning about studies to support this medication. And this is the treatment protocol. And this is why we do that. And, you know, high blood pressure really stands out because they're like, you know, beta blockers, like that's the best one for black people. So when black people in, you always start that one first, right? And you know, you're absorbing so much. I'm like, oh, okay. And they give you the study. But you know, as in these later years, I'm like, you know, if you look at a lot of the research behind those big studies, they were not people like us. So yeah. they would do research on white men and extrapolate it to all women. They would do studies on white men and white women and extrapolate it to every other population. Or they'd have some black people in, but it's a really small number, right? And so part of it is trying to start building up a database and contributing to the newer push for research and what's coming out now more that's representative wow. of us. And then the other side of that is position statements. So in the medical community, everyone has like best practices or position statements. So we wanna, we wanna investigate some of those problems that really affect the black community. So the first one on our website is for um, colon cancer screening. You know, and for black men, they just, they don't want to do it, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like, that's Listen, just like not going to happen, right? And I'm turning so, 37 and I'm dreading that day coming in a couple of years. Right. I'm going to so, do it, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the rectal exam is no longer standard of care. The digital rectal exam. Yeah, because... They're, they're not sure that it really is as effective. So what's being pushed now is conversations with your doctor to say, hey, I, I, don't want, I don't want to avoid colon cancer screening. Let's talk about this. Let me give me the new in information. So rectal exams are not the thing, the, the digital rectal exam with your finger. No. So then you talk about colonoscopy. Well, dang, I don't want to do that with a camera and they put you under. That is probably the most effective way to screen because they're literally looking along the whole large intestine for anything, right? But you can do screening at home by yourself with a little card. You guys have seen the little cola guard boxes dancing around. It's you oh. do it at home. It's all these commercials. It's a little there's there's various brands, but it's a card. You take it into the bathroom. You have a bowel movement. You put a little sample on the card. You seal it up mail it off and that's an effective way to screen if it's positive then they'll move you to maybe a a, um, a colonoscopy at that time i'd also say for um prostate exam 
So let me go back to prostate because I, I flipped over to colon. So with prostate, it used to be a digital rectal exam and they'd feel the prostate, right? And a lot of men don't like it, especially in the black community, that's a big avoidance. But prostate cancer is a big issue and it can be treated. So we want to catch it early. So one of our position statements goes through those discussions like, hey, don't be so afraid because the rectal exam is not really recommended. Um, what's the next step? Well, if you had a biopsy of your prostate, right? They talk about one approach to the biopsy. So let's, so um, the main approach to biopsying the prostate is testing an area of the prostate, which is not the most likely area for black men to have the cancer. You know what I mean? It's just seeing those things. So the main protocol for screening for prostate cancer it misses the area that black men may have a higher likelihood of having their cancer. Wow. Right? But that's what's done because the majority of the people are fine. There is a technique that needs to be talked about with a doctor by a black male where it looks at the other side of the prostate. But that's not being pushed. That's not necessarily known. So we want to start looking at representative research, just bringing some of that to light and looking through what the processes are and are they best for us? Is the research sound? How can we move it forward? So yeah, so those are our three kind of pillars. And it's a, it's a work in progress. We're, we're still working. We're early. But, you know, I used to get so like, oh, we're not doing enough and blah, blah, blah. But every little bit helps. You know, and so we're just plodding along, trying to keep our plans towards that vision ahead of our actions. You know, so we're prepared for the next step, even though we're not ever prepared, you know, <laughs> but we're yeah. always trying to just move forward a little bit at a time. So once I appreciate, like, I wouldn't normally be on these things, but kind of going back to what you guys said, this isn't about me. I want the well to grow. I want to help people and to know that, you know, there's not a barrier of cost for these. You know, these are free services that we are going to have, free activities, education, exposures, and the more information we get out about it, then hopefully the more people are interested to help or join or whatever. And, and for our listener base, because, you know, we, we have a small listener base, but it is scattered all over the, uh, all over the world. I've been seeing some weird numbers from like India and whatnot, but anyway, uh, I don't know where it's coming from. But that, but beyond that, um, Highland Park is a little tiny town inside mm -hmm. of Detroit. Um, it is very um, niche, poor. Uh, just to to be quite frank, so yeah. um, you know, poor what, city in Michigan. Yeah. So what we're talking, what she's talking about, you know, setting up in Highland Park is amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming you have a website. I do. It is the wellhi.org. Okay. And I'm assuming that people can click on the link for the wellhi.org that I'm going to leave in the show notes yes. and they can find out more information and yes. I'm sure that they can donate. Yep, there's a donate button and we're going, we're about to move our platform. So I'm not sure which one you're going to see. So we're moving platforms and so it's going to be a little, we've got, we're going to have to change the graphics a little bit. So you might catch it in the midst of those. Um, but the information will still be on there, and uh, yeah, so we're yeah. we're going through a renovation in that regard. But they can they can find the spot. I don't know how soon your renovation will be done, but this will launch on uh, March 10th, even though we're recording it relatively okay. early. So it'll probably be all good by the time y'all get there. And if it's not, just just go back the next day. And Absolutely. If you want to help out, help out, and thank you <laughs> so thank much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah, your social media presence needs to exist because, like, people need this information. Like, I feel like this would trend so hard, and we could tell so many more people because right. while social media isn't the way of then, it's the way of now. Like, and it's taken right. over to the point where, like, that's how you communicate, and that's how you talk right. to people. Like, that's how you right. get to know the world, and the world gets to know your story. Because honestly, 
if we heard more stories of black astronaut, like female black astronauts working in NASA, the guy yes. who created the super soaker was an astronaut. Like these are stories that you need to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like black people that have created this stuff. These are black people who are movers and shakers and like right. you are making history and you need to be celebrated, Doc. Like you need to- I appreciate that. Get that we out. Let people media. We are on We're on Facebook and Instagram. So the Well Health Initiative is out there. All right. Well, we need to get people on the Well yeah. Health Initiative on Facebook. I appreciate, on I appreciate everything that. we can. I have links in appreciate the show notes. That. So All definitely right. check it out. Follow. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you guys so Brittany much. Slash I appreciate Jamal. it. Thank you so much. It's nice to see you, Brittany right slash Jamal. <laughs> that is a joke exclusive for Patreon users. So if you like to uh, understand what that joke was, feel free to click that link in the show notes and subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, you can listen to the show ad free. You can see a video and get all the other perks to come with that. Uh, if you feel as though we've earned it, please leave us a five star rating and a review wherever you get your podcast at. Uh, your podcast at. I can talk. I can talk well. Um, and uh, follow us wherever you get podcasts share the show with a friend share this series in particular uh this is the second episode of what should be a five-part series um feel free to hang out on monday for a regular what's added episode and then come back next friday for a when we make a history episode we hope to see you guys there thank you so much thank you. and if fred was here he would say peace peace